0: Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. This morning we're going to be continuing our series, The Known God, and we've been looking at how God has gone out of His way to reveal Himself to you and I, that God doesn't try to remain an enigma or a mystery, that he doesn't remove himself from us as much as he is other than and seems to be oftentimes for us out of reach, that he is perpetually looking to draw us into a place where we would know him, not just know of him, but to know him personally and securely and specifically in our lives. And we've been spending the last several weeks looking at a number of different ways that God has revealed himself to mankind. And we've been looking at really areas of what would be theological emphasis. We've been looking at different areas of theological study and kind of building ourselves out from there. And we began with the idea that God has revealed himself through creation. Uh, And there's a whole uh, theology that's built around the way that God has done that, a whole way to study God through uh, nature and the natural sciences that is referred to as natural theology. And so we spent a little bit of time there. It's the most universally accessible way that God has demonstrated himself. In fact, if you study kind of human people groups or human history, there is always something in the field of sociology where groups of people look at the world and it all always draws their eyes up in wonder to what was that created that. Uh, there, there is a creation narrative in almost every people group because there's something that says, man, this could not have happened without something being responsible for that. And so natural sciences and natural theology draws to this place of, un, uh, of, of knowing certain things about God's presence and his person and things that we can infer from that, and and universally throughout time that's been something that's drawn man attention. And then we moved from there to the idea of revealed theology, and that has to do with kind of religious experience and scripture in particular, and we started unpacking how God has revealed himself through his spoken and written word. We spent a couple weeks on that, and looking at that is, it's, it's timelessly applicable, it's, it's easily uh, direct, and it kind of unpacks a, a, a broad timeline of the way that God has begun to reveal himself uh, to people. And then we looked at how the word of God points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We spent some time on that last week. So we moved from what's called natural theology to revealed theology to last week, kind of your nerd word would be Christology. It would be the study of Christ and the way that Jesus came to be God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus' incarnation in the flesh, that that gives us a very, very clear and recognizable and relatable understanding of who god is because he stepped into our human context and demonstrates in a very tangible way what would it look like to live with god daily and so we began to look at that as well and we're going to move from things that we can kind of learn things that we can understand things that we can kind of go on a a path of inquiry and study out to how do we actually move that from our heads into our hearts how do we get that from just being like knowledge that we would say okay i agree with that or that makes sense to the degree that i can make sense of it to actually living in a way where we're experiencing and knowing god personally and for ourselves because up until this point by and large we're looking at ways that we can know about god or where god has made himself known to us but for many of us the place that it gets kind of challenging or tricky for us is how do I begin to know God in my daily life and the way that I would experience him and primarily the words that are used in the Bible for knowing God both in the Greek and the Hebrew so old and new testament the word that would invite us to know God it's not just a cognitive word It's not a word about your thoughts and and kind of having some Bible knowledge and being able to kind of go to uh, some type of of trivia game and, and, and pass that section. It's not primarily cognitive. In fact, it's primarily experiential. The invitation for you to know God isn't to just know about him, but to experience his person and presence for yourself, And it moves it from this realm of kind of theoretical or ideological to actually personal and practical. And it makes its way out into my daily life. And the way that that happens is through what we're going to call this morning pneumatology. It's understanding and having a study of the Holy Spirit. The way that the Spirit of God is made available to you and I to live out a life of partnership with the very presence and power of God in our lives the simplest and most practical way for you to actually know god in a way that you experience him is by interacting with the holy spirit and i would add before we move on any further this is the most universally accessible practical and simple way for somebody to know god because the other ones right if you're going to go into natural sciences and go on a study of inquiry if you're going to uh, uh, use revealed theology to like really get into the Bible and really understand it, do you know what you have to be able to do to do any of those things? You have to be literate. Now, I don't know if that's a profound thought for you. It, it probably isn't because in our context, we take it for granted. Everybody can read. But did you know in the world context, that's not, that's not the case. Literacy is something that we enjoy in our context, which is in many cases in human history has been a luxury. The primary way that people have experienced God in their lives isn't because they could read, It's not because they had a base of scientific inquiry and they had kind of a baseline of of, uh, uh, ability to study into those things. The primary way in all of human history that people have interacted with God in a way that they have known him personally and practically is because the spirit of God has been at work in their lives. And so for you and I to move from a place where we have heads full of knowledge about God or our ideas of what we think about God to a place where we have a heart full of his presence and it's working out in our lives, it's going to require the presence and the activity of the Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to invite you to open up your uh, Bible app. Lord, we ask that right now that you would prepare our hearts for your word. Lord, we've spent a few weeks looking at your written word, what we can know of you from it, the fact that it's living and active and that does something transformative in our lives when we give it its right place. And so, Lord, we prepare our hearts to hear from your word now. But, Lord, even beyond that, as we go to your word, would you draw us not to the page, but draw us to your spirit. Lord, that what you would deposit in us wouldn't remain in our minds, but it would work into our hearts and out through the way that we live our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're turning our attention to, again, your scholarly word's gonna be pneumatology, this idea of studying the Holy Spirit, but we're not gonna have the ability today to do a full, robust, comprehensive study of the Holy Spirit just in our time this morning. And so for brevity, what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on Jesus' singular teaching in, in one setting. On the Holy Spirit. We're going to be looking at John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16. And there's a number of other things that Jesus touches on in that context, but one of the threads woven throughout those chapters is his focus on the person and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer or Christ follower or disciple, depending on kind of the language that you want to use to identify that. And in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, just to give you a context, this teaching takes place on the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is his last night hanging out with the disciples before he moves on from this context to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is arrested, and then he moves into the, the trial, and the beating, and the cross, and the death, and the re- all of that stuff happens after this this is the same night that jesus has communion he shares the passover meal with his disciples and he institutes communion it's the same room same setting where he washes his disciples feet all of those things are taking place here so in this place where he comes he shares the passover meal he washes his disciples feet and he has one last sense of a collective teaching with them before he is headed to the cross He spends his time talking about some specific things, but one of the threads through all three chapters is this idea of the person and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to look at what Jesus says about the Spirit of God that we can expect to have as part of our experience and what that teaches us about who God is and how we can know him, not know of him, but to actually know him. And so we're going to start in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Just prior to this, Jesus has been telling the disciples, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go, but I'm going to come back for you. Uh, Last week, we talked a little bit about this statement where Jesus said that he was the way and the truth and the life, right? He draws them to this assurance that they can count on him, but he's also preparing them for his exit. He's deuces, he's going to bounce, and he's going to be gone. And so as this is being kind of prepared, he moves into kind of teaching them how to pray with expectation to have this, uh, this uh, courageous faith that God hears and answers and that they can ask in Jesus' name and Jesus is going to uh, uh, respond in a positive way. And then he moves from that assurance to this promise starting in verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Okay, so we're gonna spend a, a, a few minutes on this verse and unpack some really important things when it comes to the, just the practicality of the accessibility of the spirit of God and what that means for you and I. And so in this context, as Jesus starts to segue into teaching on the Holy Spirit, he reminds them that he's gonna ask the Father, right? And Jesus, we already know, is the Son, and that they are going to send the Spirit, right? So we talked a little bit about the challenge of Trinitarian theology, the, the idea of the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equal but distinct, and some of the challenges that that faces. We looked a little bit about that last week, but Jesus is speaking in those types of terms here, and he's setting up the expectation that the Spirit of God was going to be made available to them. And for you and I, that might not feel like a real profound statement, but what he was saying was new to human history. If you were somebody who had kind of a robust understanding of the way that the Spirit of God was displayed in Scripture up to this point, you would know some specific things about the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, primarily, the Holy Spirit would come upon an individual or a small group of people, but never on the collective whole. It was never made available to the whole of God's people. It was almost always temporary, and it was almost always for an assignment or an official positional office. If you read the Old Testament, it's going to be a prophet or a priest or a king that primarily have the Holy Spirit come upon them or was with them, and they demonstrate the power of God. They hear from God for the people. They are the voice uh, in many ways for God, speaking to the collective, but as a whole, they didn't enjoy the presence of God. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, uh, kind of the temple worship system, the presence of God resided in the place that was called the Holy of Holies, and you didn't even go in there. There was this kind of separation from that. So everything that was like really primarily known and understood about God was almost a, a surrogate type of a knowledge. He was there and he was present and he was active and he was moving and certainly the places that he demonstrated the miraculous power of who he was, everybody enjoyed that, but when it came to the practical day-to-day and the interaction with the Spirit of God, it was very exclusive. And the reason for that is because there hadn't been, there hadn't been a way to deal with sin the thing that separated us from God, the thing that caused the fracture in the relationship, it hadn't been dealt with comprehensively. So there was a sacrificial system, there was a temporary appeasement, and then there was a way that God had created a mechanism for relationship, but it wasn't one where everybody could come and all enjoy his presence because sin had not been dealt with. And when Jesus begins to talk here, he's about to go deal with the problem. He's about to go deal with the problem of sin. He is on his way to the cross. This is literally the night that all of it starts rolling. And so in that place, he sets up this expectation, you guys, it is about to be different. And if you look at some things in here that are very key words, I'm gonna draw your attention to them. If you're a note taker, if you like to circle things or write them down, just draw your attention to this. He says, I will give you another advocate or counselor, helper, comforter. is the word there your translation depending on your English translation will hold all of those different kind of ideas but this helper is going to come to you and look at this and be with you forever that's an important word because now all of a sudden the temporary assignment driven way that the Holy Spirit worked in individuals that was all about to be changed The Spirit of God is going to come and be with you forever. And then he moves on from there, and he says, And the Spirit of God, you know him, for he lives with you. So that's kind of beside, in a sense. And will be in you. Now, depending on your translation, your Bible might say he lives with you and in you. I would say that the NIV gets the context right because there's a future tense to this and here's what Jesus is saying hey you recognize the Holy Spirit because you've kind of been around his work in fact there's a couple places where the disciples had already been sent out in the name of Jesus and authority and they had done some really rad kingdom stuff they'd driven out demons and they had laid their hands on people and they were healed and they like got to see and be the hands of miracles that God was doing so they got had had they had had a chance to experience it But again, it wasn't permanent and it was just for the assignment base that Jesus sent them on. But then he makes this future statement and he will be in you. And for you and I on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is so important because the way that the Holy Spirit has been made available to the followers of Jesus, the way that the Holy Spirit is now inviting the people of God to experience the very presence and power of God has changed. The Holy Spirit is available now and is with you now forever. And not just with you, around you, on you, but the Holy Spirit, if you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you, is kind of the language that would be used. He is in you. Which is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, where Paul's bringing a correction to the church, where they're kind of living in a way where they're abusing their bodies and they're giving themselves over to the lust of the flesh, Where as he brings that correction, he says, do you not know that your bodies are now Temples of the Holy Spirit. Like his correction to them about the way that they were just kind of abusing themselves, leaning towards hedonism was like, hey, stop doing that. Like your flesh isn't just the vehicle for your desires anymore. Your very body now has the Holy Spirit present in it. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God. And so what what's, has been made available to you and I More than just an ability to discover God through studying science. More than the ability to begin to know about God through interacting with his word. Or building out a good Christological sense of who Jesus was. More than that, you and I now have the invitation to know the presence and power of God because his spirit is at work in our lives. And it moves from being just theoretical or conceptual or cognitive agreement to now it moves from my head to my heart, and I get to participate with God's plans and purposes for my life, not just think about how God thinks about things going on in life around me. And so we've moved from this place of kind of this temporary, exclusive interaction with the Spirit of God to anyone who has received Jesus now has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, which means you have the opportunity to participate in the things that God wants to do. And that you could know Him, not because you learned something in Sunday school, or you heard somebody's message, or you went to seminary, or you had a Bible study, But you could actually know the person, the presence of God in your life, in your day-to-day, in your ins and outs, and that's what most of us really, really need. You need to know how to make decisions, how to discern the will of God, how to respond to somebody who is an antagonist to you. You need to know how to navigate all of the weird nuance of the relativism of the world around us and to make sense of things where people are saying, hey, there's no truth and there's no grounding and just whatever works for you now works for you. Like, how do you navigate yourself through all of that type of chaotic uncertainty when it's just kinda, you get to make your own rules, everybody does, and as long as you don't infringe upon my rules, your rules, if they work for you, like, that's fine. Like, like how, do you, how do you make decisions? How do you make sense? How do you know? In fact, one of the primary conversations that I've had as a pastor in, in the over 20 years as, as a pastor that I've interacted with people on has been like how, like, how do I know when God's speaking to me? How do I know what God's will is for my life? Like, how do I have certainty that I'm... And really, you, you discover the certainty when you know that you are experiencing the presence of God. More than me affirming your choices or your decision or just kind of giving you some Bible verses that you can memorize, more than any of that. When you experience the power and presence of God, when you have learned to discern his voice in your life, that's where the certainty of your faith is found. And so many of us have our certainty on a borrowed faith. It's just kind of agreed ideologies or it's the faith of somebody else. You need to experience God. We need to experience God. And when we experience the presence of God, when we experience the the Spirit of God in our lives, it moves, again, it moves from our heads being full of things we think about God to our hearts being actually filled with the person and presence of God, and that gets lived out. That gets lived out. Jesus moves from this idea that the Holy Spirit is gonna be available, that there's gonna be a permanence to it, and then he moves on in verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So he's using the same type of a language here, but he makes sure that he goes back and addresses the idea that when he used the term advocate or counselor or comforter or helper, however that is translated into your English translation, he makes sure to know that we're talking about the Holy Spirit. right? Just in case you missed it on the first side, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, let me be clear, guys. I'm talking about the Spirit of God who the Father will send in my name, look at this, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. This is why the Spirit of God is important for you and I. Okay, in weeks two and three of this series, we talked about revealed theology, right? We talked about the written and spoken Word of God. We talked about how we can know God through knowing His Word. But what Jesus reminds us of here is that if we're going to make sense of God's word, if we're going to have an understanding of it that is certain and the ability to apply it to our lives, that the Holy Spirit has to be part of that process. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit at work in my life helps me make sense of God's word when I'm having hard times sense-making with it. We've got a saying here, just a really practical one that we've used for years, but it's this, whatever of God's word you can get into you, the Holy Spirit can get out into your life when you need it. How do you know that, Pastor Ben? Because Jesus said that's what he does. He helps me take God's word and to make sense of it and then to apply it to my life. Not not just based on kind of the the way that people can twist and contort. Did you know you can use the word of God to kind of establish almost any position of a polarizing issue in our world right now? You can cherry pick a verse. You can just pick something out and say this. You know, there's an Old Testament verse in kind of the uh, Levitical covenant that says an eye for an eye. Which when you really want to get revenge, man, that's, that's, that's a verse we like. All right, but then Jesus says, love your enemies as yourself. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little old school. I'm gonna go Old Testament on this one. <laughs> right, like y- you, you, have to, you have to take the whole of God's word. Listen to me. You take the whole of God's word or you take none of it. I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll die on that hill. The world is full of people who take a piece of it and twist it and apply it to establish their whatever. It's all of it or none of it. And the Holy Spirit helps us take the whole of God's word and apply it to the whole of our lives. And without that, it's really easy to get lost. And so the Holy Spirit reminds us of God's truth and assist us in applying it and understanding it in our day-to-day. And again, without that, without that, we're left to study and stuff our heads full of Bible knowledge and have no way to live it out in our lives. We're just guessing or hoping. So the Spirit of God needs to be a part of that. And when the Spirit of God is at work in me, then I, I know God, not just know of Him, but I begin to know and experience Him in those ways as Jesus moves on to John chapter 15 and verse 26 again he draws our attention back to the advocate the comforter the helper the counselor and when the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who goes out from the father look at this he will testify about me listen the Holy Spirit will always point you back to Jesus every time The Holy Spirit will help you make sense of God's Word, and it will always reorient you back to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So as we've kind of been walking our way through this right in week two and week three revealed theology we're looking at God's word and how do I make sense of it how do I understand it how can I be certain of it and we went through all of those things uh, creating that framework uh, for understanding but it's the spirit of God at work with us when we're interacting with God's word that helps us understand it and apply it and then the week after that we spent our time in Christology framing an understanding of who Jesus is and how he demonstrates the person Uh, and presence of God in our lives that there's flesh on it it's tangible I can recognize it it's relatable and we move into that to understand that in properly understanding who Jesus is and reorienting ourselves back to the cross that the Holy Spirit is at work in that as well there are historian uh, historians who know a lot about Jesus that don't know Jesus There are all kinds of people who have pursued scholastic paths who can tell you a lot about the study of God, but they've never experienced the power of God in their life. Why? What is missing? It's the Spirit of God, the presence of God at work in them and through them. That's the missing component. And so if we don't have a a pneumatology that says that the Spirit of God is active and present in me and in the world around me, then I'm left with all of my thoughts and knowledge about God, but I don't know what to do with it, and it doesn't matter in my daily life. Unless I'm just blasting somebody on social media to tell them that I'm right or they're wrong, or using my position to leverage my wants. Like the Spirit of God moves it from our head into our hearts and out into our lives. And Jesus said, hey, the, the Holy Spirit, who, who I'm going to send, man, He is going to keep you oriented to me. Jesus' invitation at the very beginning was to come and follow me. Come and follow me. That's the invitation to each and every one of us, to come and to know God through Jesus, to come and follow Him. And whenever we are kind of thrown into the kind of the waves and the tempest of this world, the Holy Spirit comes and reorients our compass back to, no, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus." Don't get lost with that. No, Jesus. Don't entertain that. No, Jesus. And not even falling for any of the false ones. One of the things that I love about scripture is Jesus, basically, when he starts talking about his return, can I tell you, you're not going to miss it nobody's going to miss it. There's kind of some fear-based end times theology out there sometimes that suggests that if you're not like really paying attention, Jesus is going to come and he's going to be gone and you're going to like miss it. I've watched people that have been gripped in fear over thoughts like that. You're not going to fall for something that's false. In fact, one of the things that I love about Jesus is there's a teaching in the gospel where he says there's going to be people that come and claim to be me. Oh, Jesus is over here. Oh, he's came back over there. We've got the secrets. You better come with us because we're the only ones who know. And he says don't fall for any of that foolishness. You're not going to miss it. That when the Son of Man comes again and he returns on the cloud, like it's not. you're not going to miss it. And the Spirit of God always redirects us back to, back to the truth of who Jesus is and the assurance that we have in his work. With issues of our value, our salvation, healing, wholeness, direction, decision-making, identity, always, nope, 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 always correcting us back to Jesus. And if we don't have the Spirit of God at work in our life in that way, like, is it any wonder that we can get tangential in our faith walks? We can get to all kinds of weird places. So we need that reorientation. John chapter 16, verses seven and eight, Jesus says this, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, right? Holy Spirit, the comforter, the helper, the counselor, he will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, look at this, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit at work in the world and at work in the life of the believer is to convince us of what is true. To convince us of what is true. And in fact, the Holy Spirit really has to be the primary agent at work in you for you to arrive at that conclusion. Like if, if, you, if you study kind of the salvific um, theme in scripture, the idea of, of how do we come to a place where I surrender to Jesus, Paul in his theology would build out this idea that it, the Holy Spirit actually has to draw us to that place. That the gospel itself is foolishness to the way that the world thinks and works. It's, it's upside down, it's counter culture. In fact, most of the things of the kingdom are upside down, right? If you wanna be the greatest, you gotta be the least. If you wanna be first, you gotta be, Last, right, if you're, if you're gonna be a leader, you gotta be a servant. Like it's all wonky, it's upside down, and it, it's, it's weird, and it's ill-fitting because the world that we live in is so broken, and that's the water that we swim in that we're so accustomed to that it's almost offensive. And in fact, Paul says that about the gospel, that the gospel is offensive to the constructs of the world. And it's the spirit of God that has to draw us to this place where we re- have a, a renewing of our mind and a repentance of our heart. So that even when you, at, at, at whatever point, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus and you can say, man, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, if you could articulate that as part of your story, that the Holy Spirit was at work in you convincing you of that need and convincing you of that truth before you agreed with it. It's, it's one of the ways that God expresses his love and his grace to us. But what the Holy Spirit does is he continues to do that in our lives, that he convinces us of what is true. And can I tell you that is true of your friends and your family that are unbelievers right now? That I don't care how robust your argument is or how great that you think your way to kind of defend your faith is, that it will always fall on deaf ears until the Holy Spirit opens their ears. It will always be blind until the Holy Spirit There's something about that. And it's not that the Holy Spirit is covering their ears or covering their eyes, so don't make a mistake in your theology there. It just means they haven't responded to that invitation to have the Holy Spirit illuminate truth with them. And so there's a part of our evangelism, there's a part of our sharing our faith that we need to recognize that the results aren't up to us. And you don't bully and push people into some type of conversion moment, you just offer people truth and let the Holy Spirit do the work. And then the Holy Spirit begins to convince us of what is true. And the Holy Spirit will reveal to you what is absolutely true, not as what is relatively true. See, in the world that we live in is a a world of relativism right now. That what's true for you is true for you, even if it's not true for me, and as long as it doesn't bother me, then we're good. The Holy Spirit will always draw people to what is really true. Think of him like your best friend, okay? If you don't have a best friend like this, you should, but you should have somebody who can look you in the eye and call you out on what is true about you that you don't want to acknowledge and that you don't want to be true, that hurts to hear, but that you can still receive. I've got a few friends in my life who can call me out like that. It's your closest, it's, it's your closest friendships that you know that you can trust. They can say, hey, no, you're, you're out of line there. You're wrong there. Right? It's usually a really small circle, especially for guys. But I can tell you, you need at least one person like that. And then in a spiritual sense, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He calls you out on the times where you're trying to make Jesus into your image instead of allowing the Spirit of God to conform you into the image of Jesus. He calls us out on our misplaced uh, priorities or the times where I'm holding on to something and elevating it as an idol in my life and diminishing Jesus as a result of that because I want what I want. Who can call you out on that? Probably not your pastor. You know why? You just find another pastor. That's, that's what we, that's the world that we live in. I can just Google until I find somebody who tells me what I want to hear. We have to have the Holy Spirit be that voice for us. Last one, John chapter 16, 13 and 14. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, right? So we've heard a little bit about that. It's a common theme. He will not speak on his own. Look at this. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is for me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So there's a couple things here that backcast to what we've already talked about. The spirit of God is going to remind us. About the word of God, it's going to point us to Jesus. But in the middle of that, the spirit of God will speak the word of God to you. Like the the Holy Spirit will speak to you personally. This shouldn't surprise us. Earlier in John, when Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd, he says, my sheep hear my voice. And the voice of another, they will not follow. Because they they recognize it. You can have a discernible ear to hear God speak in your life. Personally, practically, and listen to me, you need that. You need that to help you sense-make God's word, to help you apply it in your daily situations. There's things in in God's word that are easily applicable as universal in the issues that you're facing in life, but there are issues that you're dealing with, there's issues that our nation is dealing with right now that there's not really a chapter or verse for that thing, for that issue of ethics for that issue of praxis. It moves into like this muddy place and we're trying to figure out, how, how do I respond in that way? And we need the Spirit of God to speak to us, to direct us into that. that God will speak to you by His Holy Spirit and He will do it in a way that's personal and practical. And again, when I begin to live my life that way, where I invite the Spirit of God to be at work in me and through me, all of what I have been talking about the last several weeks, all of the things that I kind of learn about God or discern about God or know about God or understand about Him, the things that I have received as truths and the things that I'm still kind of trying to work through and make sense of, the Holy Spirit begins to move those from my head into my heart, and then it begins to be expressed in my life. And it's when that takes place, when, when the Spirit of God moves things into your heart and then out in your life, all of a sudden now I am knowing God, not because I know about Him, but I know, I know Him. I've experienced His power. I've experienced His presence. I've recognized His voice. I've recognized His work. Where at times I would have missed it. I wouldn't have seen it. I wouldn't have recognized it. I might have even attributed it to something else. Maybe my own strength or intuition or ingenuity. Maybe I'd say, oh man, that was fortuitous or lucky. It's easy to ascribe a move of God even in our lives in a way that we wouldn't have recognized it. Explaining it away in other terms. When the Spirit of God is at work in me, and I get to partner with him into the plans and purposes that God has for my life, all of a sudden God moves from I know about him, or I know certain things about scripture, or I can defend this theological or doctrinal stance, to I have experienced God. And listen to me, the the move of God in your life is is really what your heart of hearts is desiring. Your mind is going to to demand certainty. It's going to want to sense make it's going to want to take this, this big understanding of who God is, and it's going to want to make it into little bite-sized box cubes that you can kind of stack up and kind of hold on to. And you, you will always forever be frustrated with that, because God will not be restricted, restricted to the finite of your mind. In fact, if you have reduced God to that, and you know everything, and it's all kind of done and buttoned up, then you have reduced God into lesser than who he is. There will always be a tension up there in your mind, but there is a way to have that tension and still apply the truths to your life and to experience the presence of God, the power of God, in a way where you know him more and more because of that experience, even as you're learning more and more about him and trying to make sense of those things. And so the Spirit of God is what you and I need. Church family, I want to invite you to stand worship team, if you would come back forward. We're going to respond in a couple ways in just a moment, but I'm going to give you a very, very simple, just a very, very simple step this morning. So as the worship team's coming forward, I want to draw your attention to a promise that Jesus makes. Your are kind of, you're understanding what we talked about this morning. This, it's going to be as broad as your experience and your upbringing It's going to be something that is informed by whatever the doctrinal or theological position of your church upbringing would be. It's going to be something that is informed by your experience, if you've had or had not. See, all of that collective experience to today is going to kind of give you a framework for understanding. And so you may have a really broad and acceptable understanding of this. You may end up with more questions this morning than anything else. But I wanna give you something that we can all act on today, something that we can all take a step of faith and believe Jesus at his word for the way that God would move in our lives. And this is the most important, in my opinion, verse on the Spirit of God in all of Scripture, that when it comes to the Holy Spirit, if, if everything else had to be kind of redacted and there was only one verse on the Holy Spirit to ever be preserved and applied in the life of a believer, this would be the one that I would choose. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. On several occasions, they were like, hey, teach us how to pray, because they recognized that there was a disconnect in the way that they understood their relationship with God and the way that Jesus demonstrated it. They could tangibly see, hey, you are interacting with Yahweh in a different way, and you're seeing different things. So they would, on several occasions, ask for Jesus to teach them. And that's where we get the Lord's Prayer. There's a couple versions of it. The Luke version is uh, more of a uh, succinct one in Luke 11. It's because Jesus taught on it several times. So he teaches them about prayer and teaches them about the accessibility of God, teaches them about ask and seek and knock, and that he's not gonna hide, that he's gonna answer, and that you can pray in faith. And then he moves to a story. He moves to a story about God's goodness and contrasts it to you and I. And as he's kind of unpacking the story, he starts talking about the way that we care for our children. And Jesus says, hey, if if your kid asks for a sandwich, you're not going to give him a snake. This is a a paraphrase. If he asks you for a Lunchable, right, you're not going to give him a bag of scorpions. Like, you shouldn't. That's bad parenting. Let me just be clear, just in case there's like, Muddy water for you this morning. Jesus said, like, nobody would do that. And then in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, look at this, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, the the most simple thing that you can do to begin to experience the presence of power of God in your life to begin to move the natural theology and the revealed theology and your Christology from just head knowledge to stuff that you can know and act out in your life to move to a place where you're just partnering with the presence of God and you're allowing him to be a part of your day in and day out the very simplest thing that you can do is just ask. And, and, and there's a whole bunch of other things that could come after that that you would have to try to figure out and make sense of. Like, it's, it's, it's not that there's nothing after that, but it's the, it's the simplest place to start. See, when we pray, there's times where God says yes. There's times where he says not now. There's times where he says no, but, right? That's part of our experience. But Jesus says that when we ask for more of the Holy Spirit, God always says yes to that. He always says yes. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, and if that would be something that you would want to affirm or that you would want to uh, kind of participate in, I would just invite you to ask the Lord on your own. But God, we have um, understood this morning that we need your Spirit. Lord, more than just our scientific inquiry, more than just a robust Bible study and knowledge, more than just even proper thoughts about who Jesus was and what he did, Lord, we need your power and your presence in our life. And in fact, all of those things point to that need. And Jesus promises that answer. That we would receive your spirit And that then we would, as the Apostle Paul would say, to live by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. And so, Lord, for my friends here today who would say, God, give me your Holy Spirit. Lord, with that simple request, would you be faithful to your yes? Would they encounter your presence today in a new and tangible way? Would they begin to have a discernible ear to your voice as you would speak to them? Would they see your word come alive in them as you remind them of the truth and as you help them make sense in applying it to their lives? Lord, may their eyes be open wider to Jesus and who he is and what he's done. May they constantly be redirected and reoriented back to the assurance that they can trust Jesus, that he is the rock of their foundation and that they don't have to be cast to and fro by the relativism of this world. May they be assured of your presence and power at work in their life. And then into the day-to-day moments, Lord, may they interact with you. That we would not just know of you, but that we would know you and that we would demonstrate that truth to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A few action steps for you this week. You can snap a picture with your smartphone or tablet, or you can catch these online a little bit later. Number one, I just want to encourage you, remind yourself of Luke eleven thirteen 13, and ask God for more of His Spirit. Number two, take time to pause each day and acknowledge that the Spirit of God is present in you. And as a practice of response to that, begin to listen for his leading and guidance and direction in your day-to-day moments.